Hello and welcome to the Lancet Global Health Podcast. I'm Mandy Bordula and today I'm talking to Avram Denberg, who's a staff oncologist at the Hospital for Sick Children and assistant professor in the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto, and Kurt Bodkin, who is a paediatric oncologist and lecturer in child health at the University of the West Indies about their new research on access to childhood cancer medicines in the Caribbean. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here, Mandy. Thank you. Every year, around 400,000 children and adolescents are diagnosed with cancer worldwide. Advances in childhood cancer care have led to cure rates exceeding 80% in high-income countries, but survival rates in many low- and middle-income countries are far lower, ranging from 5% to 60%. WHO's Global Initiative for Childhood Cancer recognises equitable access to essential medicines as a vital step to improving childhood cancer outcomes. Access to medicines is, however, a complex issue with many interrelated dimensions. So to begin with, can I ask you both what led you to do this research? Yes, interesting question. The islands involved in this study, Barbados, the Bahamas, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, have been part of a larger initiative, the Sick Kids Caribbean Initiative, which is for children with cancer and blood disorders, and it started in 2013. This is a philanthropic initiative also involving two other islands, which are St. Lucia and St. Vincent and the Grenadines, to improve the outcome for children with cancer through building capacity in research, education and training. In 2018, a pilot study was done in Trinidad and Tobago investigating the barriers and enablers of drug access of essential cancer medications. This revealed interesting insights into some of the key areas such as policy and economic issues, pharmaceutical management and management support systems. The next step was to do a comparative study across the islands involved within the Sickkids Caribbean Initiative. Thanks, Mandeep. And if I may add to what Kurt said, he's hit on all the main points with respect to the Caribbean context and a partnership there. Uh, and he's been a real leader in that. Um, there's a broader context, I think, that also really influenced uh, us to do this work. And that's that, as you well know, there's been an epidemiologic transition to non-communicable diseases in globally and in many LMICs, and a mounting burden of cancer globally as a result of that. So there's been a greater contribution over the recent years of pediatric cancer to childhood morbidity and mortality in LMICs. And I think it's critical to know that childhood cancer isn't preventable like many adult cancers. So the focus for improved outcomes really is on improved diagnosis and treatment. And as part of that, access to essential cancer and supportive care medicines is an absolutely critical component of treating childhood cancer, without which improvements of survival really can't be achieved. I think this has been recognized increasingly at the global level as well. There's greater attention now to childhood cancer, uh, notably through the World Health Organization's Global Initiative in Childhood Cancer, which has a goal of improving global childhood cancer outcomes to 60% by 2030. And the GICC recognizes access to essential medicines as a core component of this mandate. And really then, to better understand the current state and challenges faced in relation to cancer drug access for children in varied jurisdictions internationally is going to be integral to making evidence-informed recommendations for policy to improve access to medicines for children with cancer that are fit to health system context and realities. Okay, thanks. So looking at the four countries that were studied, they're obviously demographically and economically distinct. But were there any common barriers to access that you saw across those countries? 
Yes, Mandeep, this is indeed the case. Despite our demographic and economical differences, there were some key common um, barriers that were identified, um, mainly in terms of policy directives that affect mainly procurement. Sourcing of affordable quality medications for children with cancer and blood disorders and also management systems, which are very important to improve forecasting and minimize the major thing that was highlighted in the study, which were stock ups. So in the paper, you describe three critical determinants of access that interact to produce this complex ecosystem for access to childhood cancer medicines. Can you tell us a bit more about each of those? Absolutely, Vandeep. So I think Kurt has begun to hit on some of those in the commonalities that he's described across the nations. And and each of those commonalities, I think, also lay bare some of the differences. What we saw were barriers or determinants of access at national, regional, and global levels that all combined to really affect access to uh, essential cancer medicines for children in the region. At the national level, one of the key things that emerged from our work was that there are disparate policy commitments to cancer and to childhood cancer across the nations that were studied. Our paper demonstrates that there's actually fairly strong correlation or alignment between the WHO essential medicines list for children and national essential medicines lists, but only Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica have actually prioritized those subset of medicines that are unique to childhood cancer treatment protocols. Each of the countries has also promulgated national cancer plans, but only Jamaica has specific uh, provisions and aims related to childhood cancer that are explicit and uh, detailed. And I think this is an issue that's broader than just the Caribbean. Many countries have begun to recognize cancer as a health priority and develop national strategies accordingly. And, you know, most, including the countries that we studied, could benefit from more specific and substantive articulation of goals and metrics and strategies to attend to childhood cancer, given its relative rarity as compared to adult cancer, it it often gets neglected. And without that specific attention, remembering that childhood cancer constitutes a different panoply of diseases and distinct approaches from treating adult cancers, children with cancer are really going to only benefit minimally from greater national policy attention to cancer. So that was sort of the national picture. We also saw that across countries, like many countries worldwide, including uh, Canada and many high-income countries, there can be inefficient procurement and supply management practices with respect to childhood cancer drugs. So all the jurisdictions studied do have a national competitive tender process and procure medicines through a centralized agency. But given the rarity of childhood cancer that I mentioned, these markets are characterized by small and fragmented demand for childhood cancer drugs. And this is exacerbated in the Caribbean specifically by circumscribed populations that are spread across island nations with separate procurement processes. So really, this confounds generating economies of scale to drive price negotiation or to incent pharmaceutical manufacturers to enter into contracts for sustained supply. We saw a lot of reactive procurement processes, so not often premised on evidence-based forecasting of need, but rather on sort of reaction to variable stock levels. And that results in on-demand procurement through local agents uh, and compromises sustained supply of quality medicines, and it can also drive up prices. There's some uh, inconsistencies and inefficiencies in registration processes for drugs that slow time to receipt and result in greater expiration and stockouts. Uh, And I think the the sort of key thing with respect to procurement and supply management is really that you can't treat childhood cancer the same way you treat adult cancers. 
there's over overlap in some drugs, but you need to budget specifically and ring fence supply specifically for childhood cancer based on accurate evidence-based forecasting, because otherwise the childhood supply is really going to get swallowed up by adult needs. There are some issues at regional and global levels as well. I think regionally there's a real opportunity in the Caribbean for better alignment of governance and technical capacities in relation to cancer drug procurement uh, and some real strengths. There's the PAHO Strategic Fund that has the capacity for centralized procurement. There's a few other bodies that, like the Caribbean regulatory uh, system that operate to help with quality and registration processes. Uh, and so there's real opportunity in the region, I think, to uh, be more efficient by working together. And maybe I'll save some of the global dynamics for subsequent questions. Great. Okay. Yeah. So my next question is asking how pharmaceutical market dynamics at the global level influence access at the regional and national levels. So it's another great question and a complicated answer, and I will, I'll try to be brief. Really, this is a broader phenomena where uh, there are a lot of disruptions and challenges in supply dynamics for childhood cancer medicine specifically at the international level that trickle down to the Caribbean as they do to other regions. So for a number of childhood cancer drugs, there are sole suppliers for these medicines or really circumscribed production. Um, Sometimes there are company closures or ownership transfers that influence the ability to produce these medicines. And there can be production problems at plants, manufacturing issues that really cause bottlenecks in supply. So you can imagine if one company is producing a key medicine and there's an issue with excipients in the product or something else at the manufacturing plant, that really can shut down global supply of a medicine and interrupt supply in the Caribbean and elsewhere. I think more unique to the Caribbean, there's often we found a prioritization of larger markets that really incent pharmaceutical manufacturers because of bigger dollars. And so the Caribbean can also often get overlooked because the procurement asks are coming from individual nations and individual suppliers. And there really isn't economy of scale there. There's also often absence of minimum order quantities for the local agents that are kind of critical links to international suppliers to be incentivized to bid for tenders and and import in a sustained way for the Caribbean. And so all these things together can really kind of disrupt local domestic supply as a result of these international dynamics. So what would be your recommendations for policymakers to improve access to childhood cancer medicines in Caribbean countries? Well, Mandeep, I think that's a very challenging question indeed, because as you know, the Caribbean is made up of several different small island states. Although there's a CARICOM, they operate individually in terms of their healthcare systems mainly. So although the SICKIDS initiative over time with the countries that I've mentioned have improved outcomes for children and with cancer and blood disorders, especially um, with respect to cancer by standardizing treatment protocols, training and enhancing cancer registration. So that will tie into the forecasting which Avi was mentioning just now. And this study certainly shows that still um, much is needed to be done to continue to ensure better outcomes for children within our region. What is really needed um, certainly is a collaborative approach in the Caribbean region to pharmaceutical policies and procurement practices, including things like registration and quality assurance. 
And one of the key things would be, as Avi mentioned, utilization of the PAHO Strategic Fund. But this needs to be done as a collective across the, uh, the region rather than each country approaching the strategic fund individually because as the supply and demand um, doesn't sort of match if you look at the small island states. So I think those things would be very important in terms of the policymakers actually looking at them closely to try and form some sort of regional um, system for approaching drug procurement. Okay, so finally, what can other small island nations in other parts of the world learn from this study? I think this study is an important um, framework for small island states to gain insight into some of the barriers and enablers which they may face and, and which may in fact be unique to their islands. So you can't just take the Caribbean perspective and put it into, into that. And having decided what their enablers and barriers are, again, that giving some insight through alliances with other small island states or thinking of novel approaches to overcoming these issues in their own country would be very, very important. Okay, great. So thank you both very much for your time. It was a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. And thanks once again for having us, uh, Mandy. And it was a pleasure for sharing some of the outcomes of our study. Thanks so much, Mandy. It was an honour and a privilege. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more, you can find the full study online in this month's issue of The Lancet Global Health.